This is Guns and Butter. The thing is that to enforce an imperial agenda, you scrap the republic. Now, Julius Caesar understood that perfectly well. I can't remember the exact quote, but he said, you don't build an empire with a republic. And I think that, uh, in effect, what's happening is that the republic is being scrapped. It's not only being scrapped in, in France, it's being scrapped in America. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Michelle Chosodovsky. Today's show, state terrorism, Franco-American style. Michelle Chosodovsky is an economist and is the founder, director, and editor of the Center for Research on Globalization, based in Montreal, Quebec. He is the author of 11 books, including The Globalization of Poverty and the New World Order, War and Globalization, The Truth Behind September 11th, America's War on Terrorism, and The Globalization of War, America's Long War Against Humanity. Today we discuss his most recent articles on the alleged ISIS terror in Paris, as well as the Radisson Hotel terror in Bamako, Mali, a former French colony. We analyze current state-sponsored terror in general within a larger global geopolitical and economic framework. Michel Chosodovsky, welcome. I'm delighted to be on Guns and Butter. On November 13, 2015, shootings and suicide bombings were staged in five different locales in Paris, the capital of France. 130 people were killed. Less than a week after the Paris gun and suicide bomb attacks, a group of heavily armed gunmen stormed the Radisson Blue Hotel in Bamako, the capital of Mali, a former French colony, in which 21 people were killed. There have been a string of recent high-profile terror attacks, from bombings in Beirut and the downing of a Russian airline over the Sinai Desert. Where do you think we should begin in trying to address all of these recent terror attacks? I think there's a fundamental contradiction in the official narrative, both of the United States and, of course, of France and its allies. The United States is leading a war on terrorism, which is directed against the so-called Islamic State. Yet, the evidence amply confirms that the Islamic State and the various al-Qaeda-related um, terrorist organizations are creations of U.S. intelligence. They're what are called in intelligence parlance intelligence assets. And the other dimension, of course, is that, in effect, Obama is not waging a campaign against the terrorists because these terrorists are, in fact, the foot soldiers of the Western Military Alliance in Syria, and they are, in fact, protecting the terrorists. This is amply confirmed, and it's come to our attention since the onset of the Russian bombing, and the Russians are going after the real terrorists. So that when a, an occurrence such as that of Paris or Bamako is 
presented then to the media or that the media analyzes these events, what they do is simply copy and paste the official narrative without presenting an understanding of who is actually behind these terrorist organizations. Uh, almost immediately in the wake of the terrorist attacks in Paris, the French media went into overdrive, stating unequivocally, and that was prior to the conduct even of a police investigation, that the Islamic State was indelibly behind these attacks. And then the president, François Hollande, ordered by decree a national emergency, the suspension of civil liberties, the right to, uh, to enter homes and arrest people without a warrant, and at the same time he closed down the borders. Now this, as I recall, uh, was announced a few minutes before midnight on November 13th local time, prior to any consultation with his cabinet colleagues. He actually confirmed that the cabinet meeting was to take place subsequently. And in his speech, he says, we know who they are. And immediately, the French media says, this is a French-style 9-11. And they, in other words, in French, he says, le 11 septembre. Le 11 septembre à la Française. And following from that, the official story prevails. But the official story is based with a fundamental, as I mentioned, a fundamental contradiction. You can't, on the one hand, say you're the victim of the Islamic State when, in fact, you're the creator of the Islamic State. It's the non secateur. You cannot say that the the attacks, and, and he was very explicit, the attacks from outside France, from Syria, originating from Syria. You can't say that the attacks originating from Syria directed against the French Republic um, and at the same time support covertly uh, these same terrorists. And there's ample evidence that not only the United States and its allies have supported the ISIS and its affiliate groups, such as the Libya Islamic Fighting Group, so has France, with weapons, with training, with financing, and so on. So that is the, that is the situation. And what the French public and Western public in general um, have been led to believe is that these terrorists are involved in crimes against humanity without realizing that, in fact, their intelligence services, uh, which are under the auspices of an elected government, are manipulating these terror organizations, are supporting them, are providing them with weapons. You write that the Islamic State, ISIS, the alleged architect of the Paris attacks, was originally an al-Qaeda-affiliated entity created by U.S. intelligence 
With the support of Britain's MI6, Israel's Mossad, Pakistan's Inter-Services Intelligence, ISI, and Saudi Arabia's General Intelligence Presidency, GIP, you write that, quote, from the outset of Obama's bombing campaign in August-September 2014, the U.S.-led coalition has not bombed ISIS rebel positions, unquote. Has the U.S. counterterrorism campaign been fake? Well, absolutely. This is a this is a self-proclaimed counterterrorism campaign, but in effect, it is um, it is there to justify the bombing of a sovereign country in derogation of international law. Um, the United States has been pressuring the government of Bashar al-Assad to step down. They want regime change. And uh, they have not been able to achieve that despite four years of intensive uh, terrorist um, activities, which they sponsor on the ground. And in the last year, we're talking about a bombing raid, which has lasted for, for 13 months or more, uh, and which is, in effect, supporting those terrorist entities. Now, we, we can say, well, where do you get the information as to who is behind these terrorists. And I can tell you that from day one, in March 2011, uh, the terrorists were sent in with the support of the Western Military Alliance. And, uh, in fact, this was reported in August um, 2011 by DEPCA, which is an intelligence uh, online media, um, (laughs) which I'm not saying that I trust DEPCA, but... They acknowledge very clearly, and it's corroborated by other reports, that um, the initiative of the Western Military Alliance was actually launched by NATO, and it consisted in um, setting up a campaign to enlist thousands of Muslim volunteers in Muslim countries, uh, which would then be coordinated by NATO in Brussels and the Turkish High Command. And that is exactly what has happened. And it took a long time for Western public opinion to actually even realize that the so-called opposition forces against the government of Bashar al-Assad were were actually terrorists. And then when, when these uh, atrocities were committed, they'll say invariably, and, and they probably still do, the Western media would blame uh, Bashar al-Assad of killing his own people. Well, we have enough information to know that uh, this so-called war on terrorism is fake. Uh, the United States and its allies are involved in a criminal undertaking in violation of international law, against the sovereign country, its geopolitics, its economic conquest, and they're using the war on terrorism as a pretext. And now the bombing campaign is really in response to the fact that government forces uh, in 2014 actually had managed to pacify a large part of of Syrian territory, and the terrorists had been uh, 
terrorist pockets had been eliminated. So they initiated the bombing campaign, and then they, they fast-tracked the recruitment and training of terrorists out of Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and so on and so forth. All of this is known. And the thing is that the Western media will actually acknowledge the fact that Turkey is responsible for this, that, and other, that Saudi Arabia, we can't trust them. They're supporting the terrorists. Qatar is supporting the terrorists. But of course, the Western countries are not supporting the terrorists, even though their allies are obeying orders. I mean, Qatar is not really a country. It's a proxy state in the Persian Gulf. It obeys orders. There's a whole series of military and intelligence uh, um, bases there, um, close to Doha, the capital of Qatar, uh, Saudi Arabia, the same. These are countries which are aligned with Washington. They receive military aid. They are told what to do. And historically, going back to the Soviet-Afghan war, we know that Pakistan's military intelligence, inter-services intelligence, ISI, and its Saudi counterparts were funding this operation. They were recruiting the terrorists. Uh, it's corroborated by Brzezinski and so on and so forth. All this is known, and the CIA does not deny it. What they say, of course, is that in the wake of the Cold War, uh, they ceased their relationship with al-Qaeda, and then al-Qaeda turned against us, so to speak. This is absolute nonsense, because I, I can tell you for one thing is that the the actual terrorists continued to be trained in Afghanistan and Pakistan. And in fact, the proclaimed um, architect of the, of the bombing of the hotel in Bamako, uh, Belmokhtar, was recruited by the CIA in 1991. The Soviet-Afghan war was already over. The, the Cold War was over. And the CIA was continuing to recruit these people. Who were they recruiting? They were recruiting, uh, they were recruiting potential intelligence assets, which could then be deployed in a number of countries. Uh, the, the former Soviet Union, of course, the Russian Federation, Chechnya, but also in the Middle East. And uh, it just so happens that Mokhtar Belmokhtar um, was trained in Pakistan and Afghanistan by the CIA, and then he was sent back in 93 uh, to Algeria. And today he is, uh, he is behind a, a, a fraction of what is called Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb, uh, and the operation which was launched in Bamako uh, allegedly was undertaken by his group, uh, on the one hand, and the, the broader organization, which is called Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb, Akim, uh, which is an affiliate of Al-Qaeda. I should mention that Akim is also uh, very much integrated with the so-called Libya Islamic Fighting Group, uh, which was supported by NATO during the, during the, the campaign, the NATO campaign against Libya in 2011 so that NATO supports the Libya Islamic Fighting Group, which in effect has more or less merged with Akim, uh, the, the architect of the Bamako bombing, this uh, mythical figure, Mokhtar Belmokhtar, is actually trained by the CIA. 
there's CIA all over the place, and they, they cannot deny, because the evidence is so compelling, that the intelligence services of Western countries are supporting the terrorists, and at the same time, the governments of Western countries are waging a campaign allegedly against the Islamic State, when in fact they're also supporting the Islamic State, and they're using this as a pretext to bomb uh, a sovereign country, resulting in tens of thousands of casualties, a refugee crisis, the destruction of entire cities, and so on, during a period of four years. That is the picture. And we don't need to start engaging in any kind of, of uh, conspiracy theories to underscore the fact that if the intelligence services of France and the United States are supporting ISIS, and ISIS is designated as the threat to the security of the French nation, there's an obvious contradiction. Because you can't support the ISIS and then make a speech at 12 o'clock at night, I'm talking about President Hollande, and say, we know who they are, they're attacking us. Okay? They're killing our people. So I think, to put it mildly, President François Hollande has blood on his hands. I'm speaking with economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show, State Terrorism, Franco-American Style. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, you've been referring to the Bamako Mali attacks, the most recent terror attacks. Uh, news media report that the Bamako terror operation was coordinated by Mokhtar Belmokhtar, whom you have mentioned. What do you think is the significance of the Bamako attacks? And were the Mali attacks in Bamako related to the Paris terror? For instance, what was France's role in the Libyan war and the takedown of Muammar Gaddafi? Is this all related? Well, let me put it this way. Both attacks, both the Paris attacks as well as the Bamako attacks, have geopolitical implications. Uh, first, with regard to Paris, um, it's worth noting that one week before these attacks occurred, Paris, the Hollande government, had ordered the deployment of the Charles de Gaulle uh, aircraft carrier group to the Mediterranean, to the eastern Mediterranean, and uh, this was in support of the alleged um, campaign against terrorism in Syria, so that they were actually, even before these attacks occurred, they'd already been preparing to send their, this powerful navy, an air force deployment to, to the Middle East in support of Obama's campaign against the ISIS. And uh, in the wake of, of the Paris attacks, as we recall, uh, the French Air Force went in and bombed the alleged headquarters of ISIS. Um, and the official declaration for the, from the Ministry of Defense was that they had actually targeted the command posts. Uh, we got information from Syria that, in fact, what they targeted were health clinics, a museum, and the stadium. Uh, 
in other words, the country's civilian infrastructure. And that has been persistent throughout the last year since the United States started to bomb, uh, to bomb Syria. Now, with regard to Bamako, um, the geopolitical agenda is essentially to create uh, a pretext and a justification for the intervention of France and the United States in sub-Saharan Africa. And they would be directing their um, actions, uh, allegedly, of course, against terror organizations with threatened uh, partner governments in Africa, which is nonsensical because they control those terror organizations, whether it's uh, Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb or Boko Haram in Nigeria or the Libya Islamic Fighting Group. All these organizations are intelligence assets, and they're being used to destabilize sovereign countries. And now the Bamako attacks will no doubt also be used by France, by the United States, to extend, to, in a sense, to recolonize Africa in terms of uh, uh, militarization of the entire continent, the control over resources, etc., the destabilization of, of, uh, of um, post-colonial societies, which they're doing. They're doing through various mechanisms. But I suspect that the geopolitics uh, underlying the Bamako terror attack is militarization of Africa. And I should mention that U.S. AFRICOM also sent in a contingent into, into Mali to assist the French and Malian special forces, which stormed the, the hotel. And uh, U.S. Africa Command is, is, the, is the key to, to this uh, militarization of Africa. Now, I should mention that François Hollande is, in fact, a U.S. proxy. I mean, he, he acts on behalf of Washington. He has absolutely no concern in actually protecting the, the French spheres of influence in West Africa, for instance. And um, the alliance with the United States uh, is, and it's a subordinate alliance, France is a subordinate to, uh, uh, to, um, to Washington, is in fact to um, pave the way towards uh, the U.S. colonization of the African continent, uh, which uh, historically, as we recall, was really colonized by the Europeans. Okay, and they even, in the in the late uh, 19th century, they had a conference. It's called the Berlin Conference, where they carved up Africa into different sections and then divided the continent. But America was not included in that in that. Uh, in, in that process. And now what we see emerging is, in fact, the displacement of the former colonial powers in Africa, uh, specifically, well, Portugal has already gone, and so has Spain, and so has Belgium, and France is ultimately being displaced by the United States. Francophone countries are becoming Americanized, uh, the dollar is, will eventually replace the CFA franc, which is, which is a proxy currency linked to the French, uh, well, it's linked to the French treasury, but it's tied into the euro. And so that is the, 
I think that is the scenario. It's the conquest of the African continent, uh, which is supported by the, the mandate, the self-proclaimed mandate of the Obama administration to go after the terrorists in sub-Saharan Africa, Boko Haram, Akim, and so on. And they're doing that in, in, in all the various areas where they want to extend their zone of influence. So you, you have, of course, in Southeast Asia, you'll have the uh, Jania Islami in, in Indonesia and Malaysia. And, uh, and then you've got, of course, uh, various other um, jihadist organizations in, in the western part of China, which are involved, again, in insurgencies. And they're also supported by Western intelligence via Pakistani's ISI. It sounds like the United States and France are working uh, very closely together and that there is then evidence that French military escalation directed against Syria was planned before the November 13th terrorist attacks. What evidence is there, if any, of official foreknowledge of the Paris terror itself? Well, you're absolutely right that France has been participating in the bombing raids um, right from the outset. Uh, and ironically, they, they operate out of uh, the United Emirates, uh, Arab Emirates, which in fact hosts the terrorist organizations or trains them and so on. Uh, but uh, now, with regard to foreknowledge, uh, I, wouldn't, I don't want to necessarily tackle it in those terms, but there's certain, there were certain events which I considered revealing. The fact that um, about a month and a half before, uh, there was uh, an article in, the, in Paris Match, which is a bit, uh, it's a tabloid magazine, which is widely read and very authoritative and in this Paris Match um, report, it was stated that there would be, within a short period of time, there would be a, uh, an attack. And they used the term 9-11 French style, le 11 septembre à la française. That was, in fact, the title of the article. And so that the Paris Match on October 2nd predicted a French style 9-11. And uh, uh, they said that the attacks in France will be on a scale comparable to 9-11. And uh, they also said that intelligence services fear an, a 9-11 French style. And, uh, and then you ask yourself, well, what was the purpose of this, of, of this media report? Is it media disinformation? Is, is it there to create a hype or create an atmosphere of fear and intimidation prior to the actual events? But ironically, when the events occurred, uh, the media was actually uh, simply restating what had been said about a month and a half ago. They said, it's, they said uh, this is a um, terrorist attack similar to 9-11. And they also pointed immediately, without any evidence, uh, to uh, the fact that these uh, attacks came from Syria. Uh, and then, of course, as we, we recall, subsequently, a, a few days later, the French president, after having declared a, a national emergency, stated this is an act of war against us, 
um, despite the fact that this is not an act of war, it's simply an event. It's a terror event. It's not an act of war. But he said it's an act of war because we're being attacked by a foreign power. And that foreign power allegedly is in northern Syria somewhere in Raqqa. Uh, it just so happens that we support these terrorists. But we have to invoke, in a sense, the fact that we're being attacked from outside so that then we can also then claim with our, with our coalition partners in NATO and the European Union uh, the doctrine of collective security. That's Article 5 of, of NATO, which says an attack against one member of NATO is an attack against all members of NATO. And that's what they invoked on September the 12th, uh, 2001, in the wake of 9-11, saying that it was an attack against the United States from abroad, although we didn't witness any Afghani planes in the, in the skies of New York. But they're doing exactly the same. They're replicating the discourse, the 9-11 discourse, the fact that this is an attack from a foreign power. Um, it just so happens that that foreign power is, is in northern Syria somewhere, and they're using this as a pretext to, uh, to escalate the war against Syria, not against their proxy terrorists in, in, in Raqqa, and to justify a new wave of bombing uh, by coalition forces. And I think that is ultimately the agenda. I'm speaking with economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show state terrorism, Franco-American style. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. But then they have to confront Russia, because Russia is also, Russia is going after the real terrorists, okay? And I think that one of the dimensions of this particular attack is that they need now, they need a mechanism or a pretext to undermine Russia's endeavors, which consist essentially in destroying the foot soldiers of the Western Military Alliance, which are the terrorists. These various um, entities, which are supported covertly by, by the CIA, by MI6, by Mossad, and which are integrated by special forces in, in permanent liaison uh, with, uh, with the Western Military Alliance. These foot soldiers, they have... They have their commanders, and those commanders are also in liaison with, with NATO or the United States. And the fact is that Israel is also behind the terrorists, and we don't, need to, we don't even need to, to speculate on that. They've actually said that they have a, you know, they have a facility in the Golan Heights. Uh, they're bringing in wounded uh, terrorists from Syria into the Golan Heights. Uh, with hospital facilities, they have Israeli advisors within the terrorist formations and so on. And we have photo ops, again, of, of Netanyahu with terrorist commanders uh, being given hospital treatment in, uh, in the Golden Heights. So the, the issue is that none of what we are discussing here will be given... Um, coverage in the mainstream media, and the public is is drowned with a humanitarian discourse. Innocent people are being killed, 
and it's those events where terrorists attack innocent people which ultimately create within within everybody this this feeling of solidarity of of fear as well uh, but ultimately when people die we 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 feel it okay and then what what we do is that we side with the government okay that's what they're doing everybody's siding with the french government even people who hate Francois Hollande, they're signing with the French government because the French government is there to protect them and they are, they are shocked and concerned about the loss of life. And that concept um, or that procedure there is well entrenched, in fact, in U.S. military doctrine. I should remind listeners of what was called Operation Northwoods. It was during the Kennedy administration. It was a secret plan by the Joint Chiefs of Staff to start killing people in the Miami Cuban community, as well as in Washington, with a view to justifying a war of retribution against Cuba. And I, I quote from the official document. He said we could, they said we kill people in Miami, and that creates, quote, a useful wave of indignation, okay? Indignation of U.S. public opinion, which is a normal thing, okay? Everybody is, has indignation when people are killed. And then they say, well, Cuba, Fidel Castro has attacked America. We have to attack Cuba in retribution. Now, that is the logic of, of these so-called false flags. Uh, and Operation Northwoods, the documents are there. People can go and consult them because those secret documents have been declassified half a, half a century. And we know that the U.S. that the U.S. military were contemplating this. It was turned down by Kennedy, and it was also turned down by the Defense Secretary McNamara at the time. Okay, so that in effect, it was a plot. From the, from the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, no doubt also supported by U.S. intelligence at the time. And um, just to mention one further element, the, the concept is what General Tommy Franks, who was uh, Central Command commander uh, responsible for the invasion of Iraq, and he call this a terrorist massive casualty producing event which results in in civilian casualties and he said that in effect these terrorist massive casualty producing events constitute an instrument which enables the government to militarize in this case he was talking about the United States to militarize the United States and uh, and in effect, that's exactly what's happening in France. Okay? The massive casualty-producing event in Paris uh, is being used as a pretext to declare martial law, to suspend civil liberties. It is what I'd call the end of the French Republic. It, is, it marks the end of the French Republic and the potential transition to a totalitarian regime under the disguise of democracy or or representative government. I'm glad you mentioned Operation Northwoods because 
We are actually recording this interview on November 22nd, which is the 52nd anniversary of the assassination of the President of the United States, John Kennedy. And, of course, we have seen endless war ever since. In terms of the media coverage of the Paris terror attacks, it seems like the notion of revenge uh, is being used as a motivating factor. And, of course, this is a contradictory claim, right? Well, you know, revenge, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, has been with us for, for, you know, for several thousand years. You need a pretext to wage war, and uh, war in the modern context, and the leaders, the political leaders know that. They know that war is the ultimate crime under Nuremberg. Whatever the, the underlying motive, the only war which is allowed is a war of self-defense, okay? You're allowed to defend yourself against aggression. But under Nuremberg, any act of war against a foreign country is a criminal undertaking. And uh, what, um, what these attacks and deaths of civilians are there to perform is to give a mandate to the government to initiate a war of retribution against a foreign country, in this case Syria, even though Syria, they're not even saying officially that the Syrian government is behind the terrorists. They'll probably start saying that at one point, okay? When in fact we know that Bashar al-Assad has been combating terrorism uh, from mid-March of 2011, okay? It's been a battle of of government forces against terrorism, and those terrorists are supported by foreign powers, so that certainly Syria can invoke self-defense. But for France to invoke self-defense on the grounds that it's been attacked by some uh, elusive uh, entity in northern Syria um, is is far-fetched. But it seems that people are buying it. They're saying, yes, we have to we have to act uh, and an act of revenge. Now, the other dimension is that um, throughout France, the, the police are on a rampage. We, we have official figures as to the number of house uh, uh, searches and arrests and so on, but none of those official figures actually should be taken seriously because what's happening now is that the Muslim community of France which represents approximately, it's something, somewhat less of 10% of the population, these people are being subjected to a witch hunt. So that we're, we're in a situation which might be called the Spanish Inquisition. But I should mention historically, the French Inquisition of the Middle Age was, was far worse. But so it's an inquisitorial type of situation where you're going after people, uh, the wave of the anti-terrorism is coupled with Islamophobia. And, and ultimately, it's quite logical from a geopolitical or economic standpoint to demonize Muslims because it just so happens that the Muslims are the inhabitants of countries which possess the world's oil reserves, okay? I, I mean, I've made the calculus is that up to... 65 to 70 percent of the reserves of crude oil, I'm not talking about natural gas or, or, or uh, other forms of oil um, like tar sands, but between 65 and 70 percent of crude oil reserves 
are in Muslim countries, a large part of which is, of course, in that region extending from the tip of Saudi Arabia up to the Caspian Sea Basin. Now, so if those countries which have those oil reserves happen to be Buddhists, the whole campaign would be directed against Buddhists. They need to demonize the Muslims as a pretext to wage their battle for oil. And, of course, what begins as a demonization of Muslims or, or whatever group ultimately uh, laps over into everybody else, right? The population at large. You, you've mentioned the state of emergency that has been declared in France. Uh, drastic police state measures, I would assume, are part of such a state of emergency, arbitrary arrest. And you mentioned that we're witnessing an end to the French Republic. Absolutely. But the thing is that uh, what, what is implied there is that to enforce um, an imperial agenda, you scrap the republic. Now, Julius Caesar understood that perfectly well. I can't remember the exact quote, but he said, you don't build an empire with a republic. And I think that uh, in effect, what's happening is that the republic is being scrapped. It's not only being scrapped in, in France, it's being scrapped in America. Now, I, I just recall that, uh, that Donald Trump, in his election campaign, uh, is calling for um, police state measures uh, directed against every single Muslim in the United States of America, okay? and uh, establishing some kind of database to track Muslims in the U.S., okay? Now, uh, he was rebuked by his Republican uh, cohorts, but nonetheless, that type of political narrative, which is based on promoting hate, uh, is becoming very popular. And the promotion of hate is derived from these mass casualty-producing events by the, the propaganda of the demonization of Muslims and so on. People are, uh, people are being used uh, to, uh, to share this divisiveness, okay? When, in fact, people around the world, are, everybody is equal. Ultimately, we're all human beings, and we should be in solidarity with one another. And if it weren't for our for our leaders, which have geopolitical and economic intents of, of building and extending the empire, most probably we would, you know, we would all be rejoicing together in a multicultural environment. But that's not happening. And it's particularly serious in countries like, uh, I'd say, Britain and France. Britain also is, is very much becoming very sectarian. And in the United States as well, up to a point. I'm speaking with economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show, State Terrorism, Franco-American Style. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. You've written that the global war on terrorism is a lie that provides legitimacy to police state measures. What do you think is behind the drive toward creating police states in what we might refer to as former republics? Well, the, the police state uh, 
is there to serve uh, economic and geopolitical interests, strategic interests. It's there to, uh, to support uh, major corporate interests, the oil companies, the, the military-industrial complex, the, the, the defense contractors, Wall Street. And um, in effect, um, it's still a profit-driven. I mean, it, war is, 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 is an economic endeavor. Okay, war is good for business, so to speak, and um, and it's also uh, is it, it provides business to the people who produce the weapons, but it also extends the markets worldwide, and then of course uh, initiatives, these so-called trade agreements, TPP and others, are are tied into the military agenda. They're not isolated phenomena, and and there's an interface. Um, it, it's not by accident that Paul Wolfowitz, for instance, went from the from the the U.S. Uh, Defense Department to the World Bank and back and forth and so on. There's there's an interface in Washington between the military and civilian entities, between the Treasury and the Pentagon, and then of course uh, all these uh, organizations such as the World Trade Organization, the World Bank are part and parcel of that, of that broader agenda. And what it really means, uh, ultimately, is that politicians are no longer politicians. They are the instruments of lobby groups. I think we, we understand that. In an American context, we understand that. They're lobby groups which own the politicians. Okay? And... Uh, and then ultimately, those politicians are incited by their corporate sponsors to commit criminal acts. Because Obama, in, in uh, waging a campaign against Syria, is involved in a criminal act. It's, it's against the law to go and bomb a sovereign country on, on whatever pretext. And, um, and it brings forth the notion of the criminalization of the state. Namely, the fact that the state is no longer there representing citizens, but it's representing corporations. Those corporations, in turn, are also involved in criminal undertakings. The financial system is fraudulent. It's criminalized. Um, they get away with it. I mean, to... Maintain appearances. There's an occasional lawsuit against Goldman Sachs or J.P. Morgan Chase, but there's no actual confiscation of financial assets, as occurred, let's say, in Iceland, where, in the wake of the 2008 uh, financial crisis, they actually confiscated the banks, and now they they are actually uh, redistributing. The, the wealth uh, to citizens. I mean, this is a rather unique occurrence. It's not to say that this means a, a change, a complete change in structure, but you don't, see, you don't see governments protecting the rights of citizens against powerful corporations. Corporations are running the world. Uh, the trade agreements override the Constitution. We know that. And... Um, and there's an imperial agenda, which is ultimately an economic agenda. And the irony is that uh, the United States has now set up a whole series of alliances with countries which were the victims of U.S. war crimes. I'm thinking of Vietnam, Cambodia, the Philippines, Indonesia. They're all allies 
of the United States, uh, and that alliance is now directed against the People's Republic of China, which constitutes an encroachment to global hegemony. Not to say that that China is necessarily an alternative. I don't think it is. But from a geopolitical standpoint, there are certain countries which the United States wants to get rid of, and that is, of course, the Russian Federation, uh, the People's Republic of China, Iran, and, of course, North Korea. Those are the four countries that, that are encroachments. There, there may be others, but they're of lesser importance. And... Um, uh, it's not by, by accident that all these four countries are being threatened simultaneously. Um, in fact, the U.S. has negotiated an agreement with South Korea, uh, which threatens North Korea. And I should mention, North Korea uh, lost 30% of its population during the, the Korean War. And this is something which is well understood, because General Curtis LeMay actually said in a speech, we must have killed something of the order of 20% and destroyed something like 90% of the country's cities during, during the bombing raids, which they implemented. And these atrocities have been committed in various parts of the world, Indonesia, you know, 500,000 to a million so-called communist sympathizers were killed on orders of the CIA. It's documented because we, have the, we actually have the declassified documents of the CIA on that event, and so on and so forth. So I would call this the criminalization of the state. And the criminalization of the state is totalitarian because it goes against the rights of the citizens. It, it has an interest in retaining a democratic facade a two-party system, uh, the institutions of representative democracy. But we know that whoever comes into the White House, whether it's Hillary or Donald Trump, you know, um, or Jeb Bush, they will ultimately be figureheads, public relations figureheads, which will, uh, which will support dominant uh, economic interests uh, in the United States. You write that, quote, the evidence amply confirms that while Russia is targeting ISIS strongholds in Syria, the Western military alliance is supporting the Islamic State terrorists, unquote. The Russian Federation is bombing ISIS while the Western military alliance is supporting the terrorists, but publicly everyone claims to be fighting ISIS. Is there an undeclared war going on between the Russian Federation and the Western Military Alliance? Well, ultimately, yes, there is an undeclared war, and it, it could evolve in, in, in different directions because the, the Russians are, in fact, uh, targeting the foot soldiers of the Western Military Alliance. And, I mean, uh, they're destroying the, the endeavors of of the of the United States and its intelligence services, its military, uh, within the ranks of those terrorists are Western military advisors. We know that. But at the same time, the U.S. and its uh, European partners have to play the game, so to speak. And they can't simply say to the Russians, well, you know, you're not, you're not actually, because... 
it's so obvious even to the broader public that that Obama's campaign has so so to speak failed, whereas the Russian campaign with limited air <laughs> air facilities has actually. Uh, in a matter of you know, in a matter of a few of a few weeks, has managed to to undermine this this terrorist uh, presence inside Syria. You know, the apologists will say, or some people even on the left, they'll say, well, Obama's made a mistake. You know, he's screwed up. He doesn't know how to coordinate these attacks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, as if, okay, they have these uh, terrorists in Toyota pickup trucks. If they had wanted to eliminate them, they could have done it. Uh, very easily right at the beginning when they crossed the desert from from Syria into Iraq. But um, the, the, the purpose was not to destroy them. The purpose was actually to protect them so that the U.S. has been very effective in protecting them and also in dispelling an understanding by public opinion that they actually were involved in supporting the terrorists rather than going after them. And now, of course, the, the, the ball game is different because the Russians are there. And uh, ironically, they have established channels of cooperation, let's say, between France and Russia with regard to counterterrorism. But Putin is a very astute diplomat, as well as he's, of course, an intelligence, a former KGB official, and he, he knows how to to uh, play that kind of game. He hasn't accused, the Russian media isn't accusing Francois Hollande of, of being complicit in these attacks. Quite the opposite. They're saying, buddy, buddy, Putin comes up to Francois Hollande and says, let's cooperate, let's collaborate. And then Hollande is going to go to Moscow. And um, that, of course, in a sense may create some divisiveness within the Western military alliance. It may also uh, uphold the legitimacy of Francois Hollande because he's not being bashed by the Russians. Um, and there's a, there's a very careful game which is ongoing. But if you look at, at the broader picture, uh, namely the fact that um, NATO, U.S. NATO is at Russia's doorstep in Eastern Europe, in the Baltic states, for instance, uh, both with conventional weapons as well as the, the air defense, the defense shield. Uh, and they say that the defense shield is directed not against Russia, but against Iran, which is nonsensical. It's, it's directed against every single major Russian city. Okay? So they're targeting them there. Then they are, of course, they're, they're supporting a, an illegal government in Ukraine, which is integrated by neo-Nazis. That is ongoing. And uh, uh, they are intent on destabilizing the Russian economy through sanctions, through financial mechanisms. That's also ongoing. Uh, but in turn, what has happened, what has emerged, is that Russia has, uh, Russians' actions in the military sphere have shown the Americans that um, we can do what you can do. We have ad advanced uh, capabilities, which everybody knows they have, and it is ultimately, it appears to be the source of tremendous diplomatic embarrassment that the Russians have been able to liquidate the terrorists in a matter of months, and uh, the United States has been so inept, but in fact they haven't been inept because they never intended to, uh, to actually go after the terrorists.
Michelle Chosodovsky, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I've been speaking with Michelle Chosodovsky. Today's show has been State Terrorism, Franco-American Style. Michelle Chosodovsky is the founder, director, and editor of the Center for Research on Globalization, based in Montreal, Quebec. The Global Research website, globalresearch.ca, publishes news articles, commentary, background research, and analysis. Michelle Chosodovsky is the author of 11 books, including The Globalization of Poverty and the New World Order, War and Globalization, The Truth Behind September 11th, America's War on Terrorism, The Globalization of War, America's Long War Against Humanity, as well as co-editor of the anthology The Global Economic Crisis, The Great Depression of the 21st Century. All books are available at globalresearch.ca. That's globalresearch.ca. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner, Yarrow Mako, and Tony Rango. To leave comments or order copies of shows, email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.org. That's F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at G-U-N-S-A-N-D-B-U-T-T-E-R dot O-R-G. Visit our website at gunsandbutter.org to sign up for our email list and receive our newsletter. Follow us at G&B Radio. Release. You dig me? You got me?